0: Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Consider this. Most people in the history of the world, if you ask them if they believed in God, most people in the history of the world would say, yeah, I believe in God. In the entire history of the world, most people would, would agree with that statement. Where it starts to get interesting is when we start to think about and ask who this God is, what this God is like, how this God works. I mean, is, is this some sort of a spirit, a person? Is this like the force in Star Wars? That was for you, Ruth. Is this someone that we can know personally, have a relationship with, is this God distant on a faraway planet? Is this God close to us here on earth? Is he angry at us? Does he love us? Does he want to have a relationship with us? All these sort of questions start to sort out what it is that we are talking about when we're talking about God. And that's why our, our passage today from Exodus chapter 3 is so helpful for us. It is so enlightening to us in understanding who it is that we believe in as God, who this God is. And what we start to discover is something very remarkable about the Christian God. Our God is a seeking and sending God. Our God is a seeking and sending God. And we see that in this incredible encounter between Moses and God in this this scrub brush in the middle of the Midian desert. Moses, this old man, this shepherd, and yes, even murderer, Moses. In this conversion moment, this encounter with the living God helps us to see who God is, and he is a seeking God. Now, I I think that a lot of times we can hear this story and we think that the remarkable thing is that there's this bush that's on fire and it's not burning up. That that's the really remarkable thing about this encounter in Exodus 3. But that's not what's so special. That's not what's so remarkable. What's so remarkable is the presence of God is there at all. That God is speaking to people at all that he's on speaking terms with us in any way. I mean, think back to the very beginning of, of human history in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God, when sin entered into the world, God had every right to destroy the world, to destroy humanity. Or to say, very well, you want to do it your way? Go ahead and wash his hands and walk away from us. But that's not how he chose to respond, and this is this is one of the miracles here. That instead of abandoning us and, and turning away from us, instead he is a seeking God. That throughout the story of, of the world and the story of humanity, he is a seeking God, reaching out and working through people like Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Now, this, this shepherd and murderer, Moses, he is a seeking God. The fact that God is at work in the world, that he hasn't just given up on us, is the true miracle of this account. And it's in the, the, the conversation that Moses has with God, that we start to see the heart of God, the, the sort of God that he is, the seeking God, that he's not seeking us out because he's going to make us pay. He's a seeking God, seeking us with his, his holiness and his justice and his compassion and his love for people, love for sinners, love for broken people. I think one of the the things that we wrestle with when we start to think about if there is a God and what kind of a God there is, is that as we look at the brokenness in our lives and the brokenness in the world around us, we start to have questions. We start to doubt. We start to wonder if there is a good God, if there is a loving God, why would he let this happen? If there is a God, why isn't he doing something about all of this brokenness, all of this pain? And I am certain that for the people of Israel in that day, living as slaves in Egypt, they wondered the same thing. They had told stories about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they knew the great works he, that he was capable of, and, and they had to sit there as slaves, wondering, where's God? Why is he letting this happen to us? And this passage helps us to start to make sense of that question. It doesn't give us a, the, the satisfying, easy answers that we're looking for, but in our, our understanding of this seeking God with holiness and love and compassion for people, it starts to make sense of that question. Because the reality is that we have a God who has chosen to work, and this is you're going to be ticked off. You're not going to like this answer, Okay. And I just want you to know I'm okay with that. (laughs) You should have laughed. That was funny. Come on, you guys. Listen up. God chooses to work in the world how God chooses to work in the world. And the reality is that we have this incomprehensible, transcendent, holy, other God And we like to think that God is sort of like on the same level as us or that maybe he's just like, he's like our boss, like one level ahead of us, but that we can really connect and and know each other's mind. But but the reality is that if you had a God that you could see on the, the same level as, if you had a God that you could completely comprehend and grasp who he is and what he's doing, we would be in a lot of trouble. We would be in a lot of trouble. The reality is that we have a God who is so far beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding, we cannot understand the mind of God any more than a caterpillar could understand your mind. And yet, at the same time, this passage lets us know that God is not absent, that He's not distant, that He's not uncaring. See, God reveals to Moses that that he is a seeking God, that he hears the cries of his people. He sees the suffering. He sees the brokenness and the pain in their lives, and he is doing something about it. He's at work in the world and in our lives in ways that we cannot understand. It's a reality for Moses, for the Israelites, and it's the reality for our lives as well. And, and the hope that, that God provides for Moses is that he is going to do something. He is going to do this rescue mission. He's going to bring the people of Israel out of slavery. And, and one of the, the beautiful things about this story, we believe this really did happen. But ultimately, this is pointing us forward to see something even greater about God. Not just that he would rescue people from slavery in Egypt, but that he would rescue us from our guilt and our shame, from our regret, from our brokenness, from the power of sin and death and evil, that in his true holiness, his true justice and compassion and love, he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. That he's a seeking God, that he's willing to go so far in pursuit of us that he would send his son, his only son, his beloved son, to come to earth, to live as God and man, to teach us about who God is and how we live, to bring about healing and restoration, to suffer and to die on the cross. That he was willing to do the one thing, the only thing in the sacrificial death of his son, the one thing that could destroy sin without destroying us. And that he loves us so much that when we were still a mess, when we were still broken, he would come down to fix things for us. That we would receive these gifts of life, and salvation, life with God that starts here on earth and lasts forever in heaven. We have a seeking God coming in, in pursuit of us, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. Thank God for the incomprehensible love of God. But we, we don't only see here that we have a seeking God, that he's in pursuit of us to bring us into his family. We also have a sending God, we have a sending God. I mean, think about when, when uh, Moses encounters God in the burning bush. It's not like there's God was in this bush. He's like, hey, Moses, come here, man. Come here, come here, come here. Yeah. No, it's me, God. Here, come here. Let me tell you something. All right. Here's the deal. I've heard about the Israelites. They're in a lot of trouble. I'm going to go and rescue them. I just thought you should know. All right, I'll see you later. Enjoy shepherding. That's not how God speaks to Moses he doesn't just come to tell him the things that he's done and the things that he's going to do he's come to call Moses to bring him into a relationship with God and then send him out to send Moses out to be a part of this rescue mission to bring people out of slavery to bring them into the promised land I don't know. I I think that one of the challenges we have is sometimes we get familiar with these stories and, and it kind of becomes like white noise. We don't really see how extraordinary things are after a while. Maybe you've heard this story in Sunday school year after year. Maybe you've watched the Ten Commandments year after year and you think, yeah, this is the way the story goes. Burning bush, Moses goes to Egypt, rescues everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is incredible this is incredible that God would call Moses and and what's so incredible about it it isn't just that there would be better leaders than Moses maybe there would or maybe there'd be people who are more holy than Moses yeah probably what is so incredible about this about God's way of working in and and through Moses that God doesn't need to use Moses at all God doesn't need to use anyone at all. God is God. (laughs) I mean, if he can show up in a burning bush in the middle of the Midian wilderness, he could walk all the way up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. That was not a good Charlton Heston, was it? No. I mean, Charlton Heston would have been out of a job if he had done that. But God could have done that. He could have come right up to Pharaoh and said, "You have broken my heart. You have betrayed the people of Israel. You've made them into slaves, and I'm taking them now." He could have magically picked them up in a whirlwind and brought them out into this promised land. He could have He could have wiped out the Israel all the Egyptians and said, "No, Egypt's pretty good. The lower delta, I think we'll take that. This will be the promised land. He could have done that. He, I don't know, we got any Trekkies here? He could have used some sort of Star Trek technology and like beamed them up and moved them into the promised land. He didn't choose to do that either. He chose to take a man. A broken, sinful, imperfect man to call him into this life with God and to send him into Egypt to be his ambassador, to be his voice in the presence of Pharaoh and to be a part of God's rescue mission. And what's so incredible about this is this isn't just a one-time thing. This is how God chooses to work in the world throughout time, throughout history. I mean, if God wanted to, he could make food magically appear on our tables every day for our mealtime, like the Great Hall in Hogwarts. That was a Harry Potter reference. He could have perfect houses for each of us, just magically appear where we want them to be. Maybe it's one of those 300-square-foot tiny houses for you weirdos, or maybe it's a 2,500-square-foot house with a four-season porch and great views. He could have done that. He could make us pop up out of the ground as fully formed adults like these incredible Cabbage Patch dolls coming into life as adults. But he doesn't choose to do any of that. Instead, he works in the world. He provides for our needs through our work. And through the work of others, He gives us the blessing of families and relationships and life together for nurture and development and care. He calls us together to be the church and holds us together that we can be His hands and His feet and His voice to bring about the the physical and emotional and spiritual healing of the people around us. He doesn't need to do any of that, but that's how He chooses to work. He chooses to work through you. You are the way that God has chosen to work in the world in this time and place. It is not an accident that you are here today. It is not an accident that you are alive at this time and place in history. God has sought you out to make you his own. Maybe you're still resisting. Maybe you're still fighting. Maybe you're saying, no, 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 no. He is seeking you out to claim you and then send you out to be his ambassador in the world. Maybe you resist that. Maybe you kind of feel like Moses in that moment. Oh, who am I? What can I do? It's kind of like, it was an interesting way that you phrased that, Max, that he was, it was humility. I saw it more as like a Charlie Brown Eeyore thing. Oh, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't like me? Oh, bother. <laughs> kind of like, come on, you sad sack. But maybe it was more humility. I like that too. Moses felt totally inadequate for the task. He felt totally inadequate for the calling and the responsibility God was giving to him. He lacked the leadership skills, the capabilities, and the strength to accomplish the task. And you know what? He was absolutely right. On his own, he could do none of that. But that's the point. God was the one who was going to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. God is the one who is going to deliver them. Moses' task, his calling, was to trust God, to listen and to respond accordingly. That's our task as well. When there's opportunities to cut corners at work, to make unethical choices, when it comes to our our relationships with others, whether it's to forgive or or to love and accept, whether, whether it's to make the wise choice or to make the foolish choice, It's not us. It's God working in us and through us. It's over and over again. in the tasks and callings that God gives us, it's God at work. We are called to trust, to listen, to respond accordingly to who God is and his promises. And to listen and to respond accordingly to this incredible thing that God tells Moses in his inadequacy and his humility. He tells Moses the name of God. I am. And I I can't go anywhere. I can't touch Max in trying to understand the profundity of that name and the significance of it. And what I can tell you is that name of God, I am, is the promise of God, is the promise of the self-sustaining, incomprehensible, inexhaustible love of God. It's the promise of God to Moses and to you that I am, I am with you and I am always going to be with you. I am with you and I will always be with you. Moses, I, I am with you and I will be with you as you face down Pharaoh, as you lead the people through the Red Sea. I am with you and I will always be with you. As you and I, Go through sickness and health. I am with you, and I will always be with you. As you face loss and failure and disappointment, I am with you, and I will always be with you. Through the daily grind of work and family life, through our regrets and shame and guilt, I am with you, and I will always be with you. It's the promise of God, of his love and his power at work here on earth for you and working through you. I'll I'll wrap up with this. As we think about the significance of of this and what it means that God has promised, I am with you, and I am always going to be with you, that we have a seeking and sending God, it makes me think of this this story after World War II. One of the tragedies of that war where there there were all sorts of orphans in Europe left without parents they'd experienced the horrors of war and they they were left without parents and so these orphanages were filled with children who had experienced this tragedy and during the day they were fine normal kids running around laughing playing but at night these children were filled with terror they were filled with fear as they thought about what had happened and they were filled with fear as they thought about their future And at some point at one of these orphanages, I don't know how they thought of this, but they started to give every child, every orphan, a small loaf of bread as they went to bed. And these children would would sleep holding on to this little loaf of bread. It was a promise to them that they had been provided for, they had been cared for, and their needs had been met that day. And it was a promise that, that they were going to be cared for and provided for the next day as well. You and I have an even greater promise than that. Not a little loaf of bread. You have the promise of the bread of life, the promise of Jesus Christ, that in his death and his resurrection, you have been claimed as God's child, that your life is not defined by who you are or what you do, but who Christ is and what he has done for you. It is the assurance, the promise, that I am with you. And I will always be with you. Who is God? He is a seeking and sending God who has promised to be with us always. As we hold on to that assurance, let us be the hands and the feet and the voice of Christ in our daily lives in the midst of the relationships God has called us into now and throughout our days ahead. In the name of the risen Christ, amen.